I'm Stephen Foskett. I'm Chris Grundeman. And this is the Utilizing AI Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Utilizing AI, the podcast about enterprise applications for machine learning, deep learning, and other artificial intelligence topics. Today, we're going to dive deep into, well, kind of some scary stuff. In fact, that's the topic. Uh, that's kind of where we're going with this conversation, right, Chris? That's right. Yeah. So we're really talking about what is scary about AI from a cybersecurity professional's perspective. Right, so what are all the, the little things that are hiding under your bed when you're worried about security for your company, organization, even at your house? Uh, what, what are the things that AI could do to, to throw you off, right? And I, and I think there's some talk probably going to be about shadow AI and AI that you're not even aware of. Uh, I also think one of the scariest things is the kind of spy versus spy, AI versus AI war that I think we're going to see in the coming years. Um, but obviously, we'll dive into that. Yeah, this is something that's come up quite a lot at our uh, AI field day, but of course, uh, also the security field day event, networking field day, where we're kind of confronting all these AI applications out there. And, uh, and everybody's like, oh, this is the best thing ever. AI is great. It solves all your problems. And, you know, um, I, did somebody ask the security pros? So let's ask a security pro. So we have invited on our episode today, Gerard Pavlinas, uh, who, uh, well, uh, introduce yourself. Hey, what's going on, everyone? I'm Gerard Cavallinas. I'm the founder of TechHouse 570. I'm also a managed services systems analyst for Helium Systems, LLC. You can find me on LinkedIn at Gerard Cavallinas and Twitter at G Cavallinas. So, Gerard, um, we have talked to you in the past uh, about security and networking and all sorts of good stuff. Um, but here's the thing. You're uh, a, a, one of the IT pros out there doing the work on a daily basis. So I guess let's just put it to you. What scares you about AI? Well, I can tell you, for one thing, I mean, right, the ongoing joke has always been Skynet watching, but, um, you know, AI is, is one of those topics where the more I dive into it and I learn and I get stronger and I'm really trying to understand it, it it's, 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 it's terrifying, right? Because it's almost some, it's almost a sense of it has a mind of its own, you know, the way it can capture data, the way it monitors our platforms, our infrastructures, our monitoring tools is heavily, heavily based a lot more on AI-based technology. So, so seeing that, it gets to a point where, you could train it, you could dictate it, but when you get it to a point, it, it almost does the work for itself. I mean, barring some slight monitoring on, on, on your part and, you know, looking at a dashboard, it really takes a lot of analytics and, and has it feeds and eats that data. It takes it. And again, it kind of has a mind of its own. So I think that's, that's where one of the biggest challenges for me is really understanding where, and I know automation and, and, and as we move forward in technology, that's becoming bigger and key. But when you have something that powerful, I mean, you kind of wonder where, where could it go? You know, I mean, that's today we're in 2021, where could that be in five years? How can AI expand out? Absolutely. So Gerard, that's really interesting. I want to dive in and kind of maybe tease apart a couple of things right off the bat. Um, because, you know, obviously we're talking about security, but I think, you know, as far as AI being involved in data science and data collection and, and those kind of things, which you alluded to a little bit, uh, I look at that as more privacy issues, right? And, yeah. and I think it's interesting to talk about those separately because privacy and security can sometimes be at odds with each other. And so it's always interesting for me to, to kind of in, in conversations to point out the differences between privacy and security. And so I wonder, you know, looking at that privacy aspect, is that a big part of your concerns or, or not so much? That's been a big part of it, um, especially too. And keep in mind from a security standpoint, you know, as we're monitoring newer threats and things out there, these attackers have 
and they are, they're getting more and more advanced every day, right? With the different types of threats and ransomware attacks we're seeing on all these enterprise organizations. But you got to ask yourself, well, if, you know, we're utilizing AI for certain tools and technologies to help kind of combat that, you got to imagine that they're using those same tools and AI-based tactics as well. So who's to say we don't see more of AI-based threats in the coming future if they're not already existing? Yeah, that's a big uh, fear of mine, or at least something I'm definitely keeping an eye on. And, you know, you see the beginnings of this, or, or maybe just an, an analogy of this in the financial markets, right? Yeah. And so the very early quanti- you know, quants and, and, and quantified traders and, and like algorithmic traders uh, started being able to kind of game the system, so to speak, right? Using AI to understand um, economic indicators, but also the movement of the market and kind of get ahead of that, right? Um, by, by watching things. But then what happened is everyone started doing that because they had an edge. And so now you've got AIs trading against AIs. And you see things like flash crashes and, and some strange things like that. Um, you've also seen uh, in, in pricing, this happens where you've got maybe Amazon and Barnes and Noble are both running pricing algorithms that are trying to beat each other. And maybe Barnes and Noble always wants to be a little bit more expensive than Amazon. And Amazon wants to be a little cheaper than Barnes and Noble. But as Barnes and Noble raises the price, Amazon does. And you'll see this every now and then you'll go and you know, find a paperback book that's $1,500 on Amazon. And obviously this is AI gone rogue. And so bringing that back to security, right? When we're using AI to secure our environment and attackers are using AI to attack the environment. At some point, you've got this kind of, what I said earlier was like spy v spy, right? I can think of the little black blob and the little white blob trying yeah. to outdo each other. And, and where does that leave us, right? And, and how secure do you actually, you know, can you actually become in an environment where the machines are running things and we don't even know what's going on? Yeah. And I think it, it, it part in that too, and I was just, you know, recently speaking on this on an on episode of Cisco Champion Radio, but they it, where it's at is you have those conflicting matters right and a lot of organizations can't de- invest or you know develop a, just a dedicated secops team to really focus on those threats so now you're kind of double and tripling back you have to find the threat quarantine it remediate it and if for the most part you know the inevitable saying cut the head of the snake off right but where is that so now you're diving in and like I said, more threats are, are coming into your environment. It's kind of like a double-edged sword, but it is interesting that conflict, you know, with the, the, the good AI versus the bad AI, let me put it that way. Yeah, and I think that it's only, it's inevitable that we're going to be seeing that because, uh, and, and it will, it's, it's got to lead to this kind of escalation where you basically have, you know, AI systems out there sort of fuzzing uh, interfaces and applications and uh, networks and trying to figure out ways to get through. And at the same time, we've got AI-assisted tools on those networks trying to keep unknown threats from coming in. So, I mean, if we want to kind of focus for a second on one or the other, um, let's start, I guess, with something we've talked in the past on the podcast, uh, which is basically how AI is able to help defend the network uh, from threats. And for me, that comes down to the ability for machine learning to do a couple of things. Number one, to deal with a lot of data. You know, you can't expect an IT pro to be monitoring firewall logs by hand and catch, you know, literally, you know, thousands and thousands of things rolling past them every second. We're actually seeing a, an escalation of data. In other words, we're, we're feeding more into. We're capturing more and we're feeding more into the systems because we can handle it, whereas in the past we couldn't. So that's one thing. On the other side of the equation as well, machine learning might be able to uh, detect out of the ordinary things that a normal rule-based system might not. Because one of the things machine learning is really good at is kind of taking a stab at 
quantifying is this this or is this that you know is it a hot dog is it not a hot dog well guess what a lot of attacks may not look like hot dogs but a machine learning system might actually be able to identify them in, better than just a simple rule so so let's talk about that how is ai being pitched at you as an infosec professional and and how and and how realistic are those pitches I could tell you that a lot of them, a lot. I mean, a lot of the ones that I see, they come at me more so, okay, so let's break it down, right? Threats aren't what threats used to be. And I think we know that, and I brought this up more than once. Threats have gradually evolved from a workstation level to the enterprise level and from a security standpoint that we see it at today. But more often than not, they're getting so advanced that a lot of the ones we see mimic actual you know, system processes and services. So how do you really detect those. And I think that's one of the many key areas that you see AI really heavily utilizing a lot of endpoint solutions and in EDR solutions is you see them really being addressed in real time and pulling like self-replicating, like it gives you a full view of everything. Um, but, but for me, the, I mean, that's kind of been one of the hardest challenges too, that I've also seen is you right. Cause you know, when you're a one man show, or even if you're working on a dedicated team, we're not dedicated to just that section. We're not dedicated to just really finding those threats. We I mean, we have to wear 800 hats. So kind of minimizing them and, and finding a good solution that really ties that in is key. Yeah. One area where I think I've seen, at least the glimmers of AI, right? And, and, and this may be taking a broad view of, of how we define artificial intelligence versus just right. you know, an algorithm or statistical regression or something. But um, the, the realm of user behavior analytics and, and user and entity behavior analytics, right? The UBA or UEBA tools seem to be an area where we've kind of gone in and said, okay, instead of just looking at um, alerts that are coming from devices, let's actually see what's happening on the network, on the applications and, and, and track when that goes off baseline. We're knowing the fingerprint of a good actor and looking for anything else, which I think right. is, a, is a start into this kind of really expanding the efficacy of AI um, in the enterprise. What do you think, Gerard? I see that more. So like, you know, you're trying to cross compare, right? And kind of see what's familiar, what's not. And especially when you have certain processes or tasks and things that aren't identifiable, I think that's one of the cooler features of AI, right? And a lot more pieces, again, of endpoint solutions and 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 security softwares out there define that. It's not just about uh, finding threats in real time and updating definition servers. Now they have to think smarter to stay a few steps ahead as best as they can of the attackers. But that is something that I've seen quite a bit. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was trying to get at with the, this idea that um, you know ML can 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 see an unknown threat, something you've never seen before, and 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 sometimes it might be able to put it in the right box. Another question that I have for you as an infosec person is is quite frankly, one of the challenges for machine learning is that you do get false negatives. Um, in fact, you get a lot of false negatives. And, um, and you might also get false positives, of course, but from the false negative perspective, my question is, um, how big of a problem is that in information security? Because that could be a big problem in um, you know, autonomous driving. But how about in information security? Is, is, are false negatives a big deal to you? I try to take them with a grain of salt. So what I mean by that is, you know, it, it's more so, number one, it, defines, it depends on the piece of software you're utilizing, right, the endpoint solution. So, it's almost like anything. 
and I use this analogy, I kind of blanket it, but there used to be software, well, it still is, I think, it's called Dragon Software, right? And the point of Dragon Software was like a voice recognition speech. So you have to train it. And I remember working at retail and that that was one of the things, and I was explaining that to customers, like when you have it, you're not, it's not going to work right away the way you want it to. What do you mean? Well, it, that's what it is. You have to train it to get it accustomed to your voice, the sounds, and then, you know, it'll pick up things over the course of, you know, multiple times using it. It's the same thing, right? And that was like 15 years ago or so. So same analogy, just different situation the the better more you tweak the policies the shaping you know what hashtag what hash values to look for in certain key areas the better the software is and the better the endpoint solution is in detecting those threats because a lot of the times too nine times out of ten it'll go oh hey you know just a very basic you know explore.exe it's very broad right and it's just you opening a chrome task or so nine times out of ten that is a false positive and you just take that as a grain of salt but it's other ones like isxe.exe or, or certain ones that may stick out it helps you filter it more but again as you shape and tweak those policies it gives you a lot more flexibility as far as knowing you know kind of what's a legitimate threat and what's not and what to really dive into because again when you're a one-man show or even if you work on a small to medium-sized team how much can how much time can you allot to diving in without you know taking away from your other day-to-day -day tasks yeah and that's really one of the recurring themes that we get here is that the AI should be a co-pilot. It should be an assistant. It's not taking the place of an InfoSec Pro. Also, I do want to point out that our other co-host here for utilizing AI was actually one of the original architects for that Dragon Nuance software. So, uh, hey, hi, Frederick. Uh, Chris, awesome. I, I see you. Uh, you want to jump in? Yeah, so I just wanted to kind of um, dovetail on that because I think Gerard's right that there's definitely this period where you're going to see false negatives when using AI for anything really, but for security in particular while you're training it, right? Um, because it has to be trained for that specific environment to make it tailored for that environment. Um, and then, I, But I also think that in the longer run, this is another reason for defense in depth, right? Is that you know if, if you've got AI at the different layers, just like a human looking at the different layers, you can miss something. And so I think the way to combat AI false negatives is the same way to combat human false negatives, which is layering your security tools and making sure that you're looking at things from at least two different perspectives you know, with two different meshes. So you're seeing uh, what's going on there. Um, and then, you know, speaking of that, I wonder if another area where, and I don't, I don't know if I've seen any practical applications of this yet, but it seems like um, deception technology and, and kind of honeypots or honey tokens and that kind of area would be a great place for AI to live um, and be useful in kind of watching in a state of, of honeypots potentially, instead of people kind of waiting for those alerts, you could have AI potentially. I don't know if there's an advantage there or not. Gerard, have you seen anything like that? I mean, I personally haven't, especially from that area of security. I haven't seen much, you know, in, in, in the in the means of like honeypots and different, you know, tactics and things of that nature. So I personally haven't seen them in any day-to-day -day environments now. Yeah, that is one of the things that we've seen actually um, quite a lot in the past uh, in, in other technologies. But you're right. I, I don't think I've seen an ML-based one of those. But man, that could be fun, couldn't it? Um, you know, train a system. Um, oh, my gosh. I Let's start a company. Uh, train a system on what kind of responses like an API gives and, and then let it just give just fuzz responses at you. I think that would be hilarious. And, and you could like build something that would be just, just spewing nonsense at an attacker and it would be all like credible or pseudo credible nonsense. Man, that's a great idea. I'll take full credit for that. Um, but it also then turns over my mind, I think, Stephen, to where you're going is kind of the second point, which is the other side of this coin we've been talking about, which is attackers using AI. Um, and, and I think just like we've seen um, 
or just like we could see AI being used in security tools to go hunt attackers and go look for attackers, I think there's a possibility, right, for, for AI to be used by attackers. And I'm wondering if that's something, Gerard, have you seen in the wild uh, AI being used? Are, are there attacks that are known that are AI backed in any way? Right now, no. And, and again, because I think, I think more so where we're still facing is, is, you know, we're still heavy into the ransomware, you know, and a lot of them like diving into them, even articles I've seen, they're not really AI based, but that kind of brings me back to my initial question I mentioned a few minutes ago, where AI based attacks are, which they're very minimal that I've personally seen. I mean, there could be more out there that I just haven't been exposed to in the organizations I've been in. But that's not to say in the next year, two years, even five years, 80, 90% of those attacks are going to be a lot more advanced than ransomware because, as I said, these attackers have the same tools, technologies we're using, but they're using them for a much more lucrative aspect, right? And to kind of pull that data and, you know, to mine for any kind of information they can. And I think that's why another key piece is segregating your data, which I could go to that, but that's also key. But, you know, not that I've seen, you know, but I mean, that's, that's not to say that it's not becoming a growing threat. It's brewing and it just hasn't risen to the surface yet. Sure. And we may not even know, right? There could be attacks that are happening. That there's some AI behind it. We don't necessarily know that. As Stephen was talking about, you know, the, the potential for using machine learning to generate a more realistic honeypot uh, and, and kind of spewing things at the attacker that were actually reasonable and sensible, uh, I immediately thought of, of spam, um, which is maybe not the, the biggest cyber attack out there. Most of it's just nuisance, um, but that is somehow a lot of the malware gets in as folks clicking on links in spam. Um, and I'm just thinking of something like GPT-3 that can really create at least snippets of, of, of human sounding text. Um, because in the, you know, the, the previous ones, right, when you used to get those, what was like the Ethiopian king who, who had some, you know, lost fortune, he was trying to get you to recoup. Um, they, most of them were pretty badly written. Uh, so even if they were written by a person, it didn't seem like they were. Uh, and so I can see potentially, you know, using machine learning with natural language processing to, to create better spam uh, as, as one potential attack vector. Yeah, you know, Chris, it's funny, we actually saw something like that just this week, where there was a... Um, essentially a, a black hat website that was doing uh, ripping off text and using AI to generate text that passed a plagiarism filter, but was plagiarized from our sites in order to, as a, like a Google AdWords scam. So basically they're ripping off, you know, thousands and thousands of websites of uh, blogs and news sites and so on, but they're using uh, machine learning to generate text that isn't the same, so it passes the ML, you know, the the plagiarism tests, and and gets counted as new text. Um, I could totally see that being used in phishing attacks and so on. You know, I mean, you could, um, I could see a future where uh, right now phishing is a very careful uh, task. You know, you have to very carefully decide, you know, what what elements do I need to include in order to make this thing look good. One of the reasons that spam works so well is because it's spam, because you can just send out a ton of it. And even if your response rate is like one in a million, it doesn't matter if the million are free. Well, if we could make phishing be, or not we, but God, if, if people make phishing something that can be done in a one in a million kind of way, uh, that would be, I think, a major escalation and would be a major entry point because you could literally have a phishing, machine learning phishing bot that would like target every employee at this company with reasonable sounding text and sure, most of them would become out totally ridiculous, but some of them, some of them might pass the, the test. What do you think, Gerard? 
I definitely could see that. Um, you know, especially more and more because, as I said, the more advanced these attacks get, the more it gets to the point. Look, I'm just gonna say it if I haven't already. You know, you're not gonna be able to recognize what's a threat and what's not, and then that creates bigger challenges. It's like a trickle down effect, right? The more advanced, the more detailed, the more granular the threats get. You can't separate the difference between a legitimate process as opposed to an infected process that you're actually open like executable code or a trojan that has execute executable code. And then this way, that presents new challenges for the definition updates and kind of how they these endpoint solutions and these softwares update in real time because you won't be able to and then it's just a trickle down effect so I, I could definitely see that happening for sure yeah and that's exactly the fear right i think the biggest fear perhaps is is that you won't be able to tell the difference or and the, and the difference will become less and less especially if there's you know valid or, or good machine learning behind this um you know in that example that stephen gave with with phishing attacks if, if there's machine learning that's able to learn which combinations of words get the best responses and keeps building on that the same way that you know facebook and, and twitter and everybody have have you know increased their algorithm to get clicks and to get likes and get comments um if you did the same thing with phishing and, and malware uh that that's that's pretty terrifying indeed yeah i mean i could i could definitely foresee that uh i think the way i think the way too it's going and i'll give you an example a lot of organizations more so the one i, I was just at we're doing this a lot more frequently as those phishing campaigns for this because believe it or not we're talking about ai and threats but at the end of the day too a big portion of all this comes from the end user right so having the end user being educating them because a lot of them don't know you know how many of them click on those links daily how many of them it's something very basic so all the code could be out there but it just takes one person or it takes multiple who don't really understand okay well how do we really approach this you know we had a few people like you know kind of respond back to the tickets like hey we set those phishing campaigns up, but they're designed to, to, to not be more of a tool to yell at people or to, you know, like let them know, like, this is, you should do this, but to educate them. Right. Because again, they don't bear the knowledge that we know they're not the experts in this. So we, that's our job kind of guide them. Yeah. And that's, I think maybe where machine learning can come in as well is the ability to, uh, to detect sort of the, the unknown, the undetectable things, you know, uh, the idea that, uh, maybe you can train it on phishing campaigns and um you know and then have it sort of say you know what this looks an awful lot like phishing i mean obviously i'm anthropomorphizing it but you know to have a machine learning um system that has been trained on you know thousands and thousands of phishing attacks and what they look like you know there you know you might have some false positives uh, you might have some email blocked or whatever but i think that uh, in many cases these attacks do look similar enough that a system might be able to be trained on it but this leads me to the next thought which is what about fuzzing and of course a lot of uh, security breaches are detected by basically just knocking on as many doors as possible until you find one that opens or you find an unexpected door that can open, you know, so we, you know, uh, everything as simple as sort of Nmap, you know, go look at all the ports on the system to something much, much more advanced. Well, that's another thing that you could really train a, uh, an artificially intelligent system to do, right? I mean, you could train a system to basically attack everything. Uh, you could train it with attacks that have worked in the past and try things like that with other things, uh, you know, uh, maybe, you know, this, uh, these are all the, the, the vulnerable ports that were found um, on all the systems that we know of. Uh, what can this tell you about uh, vulnerabilities generally and what, should, what we should be looking for in the new, as new software is released? 
Um, I, I could totally see that as another opportunity for the bad guys to use machine learning uh, against security pros, right? I mean, basically this kind of unbridled creativity that you can get from something as, as, as simple as a GPT-3 that can come up with all sorts of crazy text. Does that scare you, Gerard? Yeah, and I think that's too, that's where I was just wanted to chime in there. You know, as you mentioned that, it, it gives them the opportunity to kind of take that source code and then manipulate it, right? Because they have just undedicated, or they just have on, they have vast amounts of time to just sit down, really unpackage it, break it down, and then go ahead and execute it out there. So when you see these new versions, I think it's also a matter of making sure, you know, to kind of watch the source code, because it's not that hard to take it, face mask a threat, and then put it out there. And especially, again, making sure you you know your source code's credible when you're updating you know those EDR solutions because again you get the wrong one you're unpackaging that threat in there and then that creates a and a whole other slew of problems which thankfully I have yet to face and hope I I hope I don't <laughs> and, and another thing actually that occurs to me is that there's actually another uh, whole other world of vulnerabilities opened up by the very AI systems that are being deployed in enterprise in other words um, you know companies are going to be bringing in um, machine learning systems, uh, big data sets, uh, you know, all sorts of things that they may not actually be all that familiar with, new tools, new techniques, new approaches to uh, doing the core business of the business. And of course, anytime there's a whole bunch of new uh, products that are deployed, there's a whole bunch of new vulnerabilities. So this actually has nothing to do with AI or ML. It's just basically the fact that uh, you know, you're bringing in a whole bunch of new tools that are developed by people who know all about AI and ML, but may know nothing about security or very little about security. They may not have the lessons of the past. Um, frankly, that kind of scares me. Uh, what do you think about that? A whole new world of, of, of opportunity for these attackers. It's terrifying to me, you know, and as much as I can keep up with it and as much as, you know, we can kind of monitor at the end of the day, something's going to get through. Not not on our watch or on my watch, but just in general, right? Because as I said, if we don't have dedicated time and more so resources and even the hands to do it, it becomes hard. I mean, how do you juggle being, again, narrowing down the threat, finding the threat, remediating the threat, and then kind of originating, well, where did this come from? And how do we prevent it from happening again? Much less, you know, the, you know, the much more hierarchical and bigger picture of getting it out of our infrastructure. So I think one of those things that, I mean, the more it goes on, it terrifies me. And as I said, we just have to be as diligent, as forward thinking as we can, and, and being proactive as these newer threats arise. But trust me, it's terrifying. It scares the crap out of me. I agree. This whole new attack surface uh, around AI and AI applications and, and, and whether it's using AI applications in your IT stack or developing AI applications for your customer facing, whatever you're doing, um, both of those things are, 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 you know, just being done right in the last few years. So uh, I don't think any of us know 100% how to secure everything. And it definitely opens us up to new attacks. Uh, on the other side of that coin, you know, one of the things we're seeing on, on call it the good guy side of the house is something like GitHub's Copilot, where you've got this AI as a pair programmer. And now that we've been talking about this, and, and Gerard, you mentioned source code a couple of times, and that just made me think of, of coding and, and writing the vulnerabilities themselves or writing the things that will exploit the vulnerabilities. And so if you're talking about writing malware, and now all of a sudden, you know, not only can you be a script kitty and just go copy somebody else's code, but you can use an AI pair programmer to write better code. Um, I mean, that seems like a potential explosion of, of malware on the scene. Is, is that a realistic uh, fear, do you think? 
I think so too. And I, and, and believe it or not, I haven't gotten to dabble with co-pilot much. I want to, but I haven't gotten to, but you know, thinking about it and you know, this discussion, it really does because it's like anything you're opening that proverbial can of worms and you're opening the, the, those endless possibilities to being exploited. So somebody who has no scripting knowledge, who's never touched, you know, PowerShell, who's never touched a batch file in their life can go ahead, take this, manipulate it, tweak it, and then just deploy it out there. And the damage it could do could be circumstantial, you know, at any level. So I, again, I think it's one of those things that we have to be more proactive in how we do it but i know that a lot of developers are doing as best of a job as they can but there's going to be that one that gets through and then all, all it takes is that one yeah that leads me back to some of the other uh, solutions we've seen here chris on the podcast of um hey let's have something that's easy to use that anyone can use you know we can you know we can create an ai based application and deploy it in minutes you know we can you know drag and drop uh systems and uh you know uh, these are literal quotes from some of the guests that we've had over the last three seasons uh, talking about how easy it is to build new applications with these things. Um, what do you want to bet that no one in that chain has ever considered the information security implications of these things? Um, I think it's probably more likely that they considered storage than information security, frankly. Uh, and I say that as a storage pro who gets ignored all the time. So, um, Gerard, uh, thank you so much for this, uh, you know, kind of this perspective from somebody inside the uh, inside the InfoSec industry. Um, we're now coming to the part of the podcast where we transition a little bit into something different. So uh, this is time for three questions. Uh, tradition started last season, and we're carrying it through with a little bit of a twist. Uh, we're going to be bringing in a question from a previous guest as well. So a note to the listeners, uh, Gerard has not been prepped for these questions ahead of time. So we're just going to get an off-the-cuff answer right now live. So Chris, go ahead and ask your first question. Yeah, so I think we've established that uh, cybersecurity professionals are not going to be replaced by AI anytime soon. Um, but Gerard, in your opinion, are there any jobs that will be completely replaced by AI in the next five years? I think if, if I was giving my honest opinion on it, I think more so, not even AI, well, I really have to think about that, but I feel like a lot of the, the, the jobs that could be are more so like specific analysts, like a lot of analyst type roles could be potentially one, because if you take a look at it, right, they're breaking down that source code. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, it's, it's hard, right, to really think about it. I mean, we could always say like general stores and things like that, but for me, I, 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 I'm not really too sure. Like I couldn't give, you know, I'd have to really think about it. I'm not too sure, but I, I can tell you that it's, it's, you know, I mean, anything that, you know, usually requires a lot of that data that it could, it could be self-automated, right? Like you're going to see AI. And again, the more you tweak it, it could pull that data. It might be able to do it a little faster. So one of the things we talked about as well was uh, you were saying um, sort of where you have and haven't seen uh, AI. So I'm going to ask you the opposite side of Chris's question. My question is, can you think of any fields, and not just in, in, in IT, but just in general, can you think of some fields that have not yet been touched at all by AI? They have nothing to do with AI. That, that I, some fields, I want to say manuf manufacturing, I haven't seen much. And you know, I have some friends that, you know, work in factories that I, I think that, that they've let me know, you know, I've talked to them from their technology standpoint, and they, they're, they're still dated, right? But I think manufacturing hasn't really seen a whole lot of, it could see more growth in the AI space. Uh, healthcare, for one, because, you know, I've, I've worked in the healthcare industry. They could definitely, definitely 
use use a lot more AI-based tools, solutions uh, moving forward. Because as I said, especially with everything going on out there, uh, I think that would be key. Cool. Yeah, because that's one of those things where, uh, well, there, there you go. L listeners, you got some ideas on, on where to develop your next, uh, your next system. So uh, finally, as promised, uh, we're going to use a, qu a question from a previous podcast guest. So the following question is brought to us by Amanda Kelly, the co-founder of Streamlit. Take it away, Amanda. Hi, I'm Amanda Kelly. I'm one of the co-founders of Streamlit. I would like to know, what is a tool that you were personally using a few years ago, maybe you were very hot on, but you find you're not using anymore? Uh, and why? Uh, well, again, a very common tool. And again, it's just one I, I wrote about a while ago, but I haven't used it. I was like Malwarebytes, right? Because Malwarebytes was just one of those pieces of software that I found, I stumbled upon by accident. And the more I dived into it, I really, and that's kind of one of the big reasons, just well, one of the smaller portions of the bigger reason why I really took a, a genuine deep dive interest into threats and security was because of how granular it could break it down, what it was capable of, how it pulled definition updates, how it how it detected in real time. And, and that was something I haven't used that in years, but it was just something that, you know, it was always like a callback. That was definitely a big piece of software that I, I use daily. <laughs> well, thanks so much for that, Gerard. Uh, we look forward to hearing what you might have as a question for a future guest on utilizing AI. And if you, the listeners, want to join in on this, you can just send an email to host at utilizing-ai.com and we'll record your question for a future guest. So Gerard, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, where can people connect with you and follow your thoughts on enterprise AI? Or is there something you've done recently that you want to give a shout out to? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've just recently uh, completed a post for a new series that I'm writing for my blog, Tech House 570. It's called Cisco Champion Highlights, where we really get a deep dive and granular look at uh, Cisco Secure Endpoint, kind of some new updates to that, what's coming down the pipeline, some really exciting stuff. Hope everybody sees, but if anybody's looking for me, I'm always available in the community, always willing to help. I'm available at TechHouse570, and again, at my LinkedIn and Twitter. Yeah, so actually with one of the hats I wear as the category lead for security and risk at GigaOM, I work on a lot of reports in these areas. We have an upcoming report uh, from analyst Chris Ray on deception and on UEBA, so two topics we talked about today. But for my own personal things, uh, everything you need to know is at chrisgrundeman.com uh, or on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Chris Grundeman. And as for me, I'm just going to give a quick shout out here. Um, we are uh, doing a, a security field day event in March. So if you're interested in information security, please do tune in March 23rd through the 25th for security field day and also an AI field day in April, April 22nd or 20th to 22nd. So please uh, check those out as well. So thank you everyone for listening to the Utilizing AI podcast. If you enjoyed this discussion, please do give us a rating and subscription. We're available in most podcast applications, and it really does help. Also, please do share this episode with your friends in information security or AI or beyond. This podcast is brought to you by gestaltit.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to utilizing-ai.com or find us on Twitter at utilizing underscore AI. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.